confusion as to how to uh, interpret these things because as we said, the disciples during the Passover would have been in a symbolic uh, state of mind as far as the symbolism of all that was taking place. And when Jesus said, this is my body, this is the blood of the covenant, how would they have understood that? Would they have understood that as literally his flesh that they were holding, uh, looking at, or would they have understood this as, as a symbol uh, for what uh, his, his body stood for. Uh, so we believe that his body and his blood were represented in this. Verse 24, it says that he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Uh, the word covenant uh, or testament uh, means something that is given, something that is uh, uh, preordained, something that involves uh, the passing of one, such as a last will and testament. And so interestingly that Jesus incorporates this uh, as his testament, as his covenant, uh, his blood for the covenant. And so this is a new, a better covenant. This is a covenant of grace, not a covenant of the law. And notice how he says this, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. And so here is his blood, singular, poured out for many. A sacrifice, one sacrifice, a new, a better, a perfect sacrifice. So, so much so that no more sacrifice would ever be required. Once and for all, his sacrifice on the cross poured out his blood for many. A substitute in our place so that God's wrath would be abated from us placed on his son on the cross one died for many so Jesus interprets the supper and then Jesus in verse 25 institutes the supper the, the ceremony that we now participate in this memorial meal reminds us verse 25 Jesus says truly I say to you and he has used this phrase several times in Mark's gospel. Truly can be interpreted as amen. Amen, I say to you, with the authority I have, I declare this to you, from me to you. Jesus says, amen, I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine. Sounds final. But then he says, until. Until. So Jesus says, I will pour out my blood for many I'll never drink of the fruit of the vine again until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God and so there's a sense of anticipation so here is Jesus thinking about what he is going to do for his disciples he's also thinking about that day a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ again the judgment day the last day so the Lord's Supper, a memorial meal that reminds us of what Christ has done in the past and what Christ will do in the future. And so we participate in a sense of, of grief over what our sin has caused. But we also celebrate with a sense of joy of what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do. And so it's a reminder of the past, it's a reminder of the present, but we're going to see also Participating in the Lord's Supper reminds us of what Jesus is still doing for us 
as believers. So he institutes the supper, a vivid way to remind us of his sacrifice and the ongoing benefits of it. In verse 26, Jesus integrates the supper after deviating away from the traditional Passover meal, at the end, Jesus ties it back in to the Passover, which we said was a reminder of what God had done, delivering his people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, and how Jesus sees the Last Supper here, the First Supper, as a way of, of, of elevating what God has done in delivering his people, not from the bondage of, of slavery physically, but from the bondage of slavery to sin. And how it is an act of God in which we should be grateful for, for his mercy and for his loving kindness. Now traditionally, as the Passover came to a close, they would sing some of the Psalms, what we call the Hallel Psalms, praise Psalms. And in, in particular, uh, Psalm 118. I want to read the words to Psalm 118. I won't sing them for you uh, as a hymn, but I will read them for you. In that setting of what Jesus had just done in giving the bread and giving the cup, and what those elements symbolize of what Jesus was going to do on the cross and how we receive that passively from God as a gift and we give thanks to God for delivering us from our enemy. Hear these words of Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let the house of Aaron say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say, His loving kindness is everlasting. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die, but live. And tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. 
This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And so we are, re- we are told repeatedly to give thanks to God, for his mercy is everlasting. And aren't you glad for that? We are so desperately in need of God's mercy, not just to save us, but His continued mercy to sustain us to the very end. Which brings up the last point that we see in our story today. Stay humbled by His prediction. By His prediction. Here, Jesus predicts the disciples will stumble especially Peter, who will deny the Lord three times. And if Peter and the disciples are capable of stumbling, then who are you to think that you will not stumble and fall? And if, and if Peter and the disciples needed sustaining grace, even after being saved, then so do you and so do I need that sustaining grace continually we see first in verse 27 a prophecy is made a prophecy is made here after this wonderful setting in this environment where they share the Passover and and they are uh, reminded of God's blessings and God's redemption and, and how God has worked in their favor and they sing these wonderful hymns Jesus drops yet another bombshell As they were sharing the Passover in the beginning, Jesus told them, one of you will betray me. And then they move past that and share this meal together, sing this this hymn of praise, and their souls are elevated and they are filled with joy. And Jesus says, you will all fall away. And he catches them off guard, I believe. But then notice what he says here in verse 27. You will all fall away because why? Why, Jesus? How are you so confident that this is going to happen? He says, because it is written. Here again, Jesus, his view of the scriptures, his view of the, the eternality of the word, of what has been written under the inspiration of the Spirit, Jesus says, it's written. And what God has written will come to pass. He says, it is written I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So obviously Jesus in that setting, he interprets himself as the shepherd. He says, you're all going to fall away because the shepherd will be struck. The sheep will be scattered. So obviously Jesus is the shepherd. His disciples are the sheep. Which leads us to this question. Who is going to strike the shepherd? Jesus said, it is written, I will strike the shepherd. I will strike Jesus and his disciples will scatter. Who is the one doing the striking? It is God the Father. 
as Jesus quotes this scripture from the book of Zechariah, we are are reminded it is the divine plan of the Father to bring about the redemption of His people by striking His own Son. Unless we think that Jesus is somehow this, this victim of abuse by the Father, it is Jesus Himself who said, I willingly lay down my life for my sheep. And so in the design of the Heavenly Father and by the will of the Son of God, our redemption is brought to us through this divine plan of the cross of Christ. Isaiah 53.10 says it was the Lord. The Lord was pleased to crush him, referring to the suffering servant. The Lord was pleased to crush him if he would render himself a guilt offering. And again, Jesus rendering himself willingly, laying down his life so that his disciples, his followers, would be saved. This came about by God's doing. The prophecy was made. Jesus, seeing himself, the fulfillment of this prophecy, tells his disciples, you will all fall away. I am about to be struck and you will be scattered. But then the good news is, in verse 28, a promise is made. He says, but, lest you grieve over this fact that I will be struck and you will be scattered, these things are but temporary. My being struck and your being scattered, these things are written, they will come to pass, but that is not the end of the story. How depressing would that be? Jesus is struck down, his disciples scatter, and that's it. Some would look at human history and say, well, that's what happened, but we know the rest of the story. Verse 28, he says, but after I have been raised. So once again, Jesus predicts the cross. He's done that on three other occasions already, starting in chapter 8. And every time Jesus predicts the cross, he also predicts his resurrection. Because you can't have the plan of redemption, you can't have the forgiveness of your sins, you can't have eternal life without the resurrection. The cross, Jesus dies for your sins. The resurrection, his offering for your sins is validated. It's the seal of approval. And as Christ took your sin on the cross, His resurrection gives you life. As He is alive, so you too will be alive. Not just spiritually, but also physically. In every essence of His being, Christ was raised. So too, you and I, when we put our faith in Him, we too shall be raised. He says, And when I have been raised he is certain that that will happen he is confident in the will of the father after I've been raised I will go ahead of you to Galilee it's interesting Galilee is where most of the disciples were from it's where he first called his disciples follow me I will make you fishers of men and so it's like he's coming full circle after I've been raised I will call you to myself once more Although I'll be struck and you'll be scattered, I'm going back to Galilee and I'm going to call you there. And he says, I will go ahead of you 
We say, well, that means he's going to get there first. Well, yes, but there's also another sense to that. I will go ahead of you means that he will lead us just like a shepherd does his sheep. He says, I, as the shepherd, will be struck. You, as a sheep, will be scattered. But I'm going to be raised, and then I will once again lead you as a shepherd does his sheep. I will go ahead of you. I will lead the way, and you will follow me because I know the way to go. We went to Disney World last week, and I'd never been there before. The kids had never been there before, but Nancy had. And she also had this app on her phone that has this map, and it shows you where everything's at. And so we get to the park, and she's taking off through the crowds, and we're just following her. She knows the way to go. And so she gets there first, but also she leads the way. And we followed her. And I couldn't help but think of this text. And Jesus said, I'm going to Galilee ahead of you. He is going ahead because he is leading the way like a good shepherd. So notice in all of this, Jesus says, you're going, to, you're going to fall away because I'll be struck. You'll be scattered, but it's not the end of the story. I will be raised and I will go ahead of you and you will follow me back to Galilee where it all began and we're going to start anew as a shepherd and a sheep. But then we see a protest is made in verse 29 through 31. It says, But Peter said to him. So you would think in this setting of Jesus giving these symbols to his disciples and telling them of what he is about to do for them and sharing with them, you're all going to fall away. You would think that there would be some sort of, of remorse, some sort of, of sadness, some, some sort of humility on their part. Say, oh, Lord, give us the strength, we pray. We need your strength that this won't happen. But, Lord, if it does, we thank you that you're going to go ahead of us and you're going to lead us once more. But we read this in verse 29. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. I will not. It's as if Peter says, you know, the rest of these guys, I could, I could see them falling away. You know, I, I, you know they're, they're a little flaky. I, I get that. Not me. Lord, not me. Even though all fall away, I will not. Now Jesus just said, you're all going to fall away. And Peter says, no. So what's he, he's basically calling Jesus a liar. Jesus, either you're mistaken, you don't really know the whole story, which is heresy, or Jesus, you're not telling the whole truth. Heresy. So here's Peter. Even though all fall away, I will not. There's no humility. There's the opposite of humility. There is pride. There's pride. And Jesus responds to him, Truly I say to you, this very night, Peter, you're not even going to make it through this night, okay? This very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And it says they were all saying the same thing also. So it wasn't just Peter that was full of pride. It was all of them. In that setting of, of, of Jesus feeding them physically, giving to them physically so that they might receive from his hand, 
symbolic of what he is going to do to them spiritually. He's going to give of himself to them so that they might receive from him humbly. They're going the opposite direction and being full of pride. A protest is made. And it's a reminder to us, don't, don't overestimate your loyalty. Don't overestimate your loyalty to the Lord. The scripture says pride comes before a fall. You see, sometimes we think that we got it all figured out, we got it all together, and we overestimate our loyalty to the Lord. But yet, even though we have been saved by grace, we still need grace to sustain us. Why? Because the enemy is relentless. We read in Luke's Gospel where Jesus tells Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Even though Peter is saved, the enemy still pursues him and tempts him and scandalizes him. That word fall away, we get the word scandalized from that. He will scandalize Peter's faith by coming after him. And so the reason we don't overestimate our loyalty is because the enemy does not let up. Even though you're saved, don't think that Satan's going to just take his hands away and say, well... I lost that one. Oh, no, no, no. He's going to do everything in his power to make you miserable. He's going to do everything in his power to steal your joy. He's going to do everything in his power to rob you of your testimony. And if you become overconfident and say, well, Lord, you've saved me. I'm good now. I got this from here. You will fall away. You will stumble Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We don't overestimate our loyalty because the enemy is stronger than you and you will fall and you will sin. But don't underestimate his love. It's the beauty of this whole passage here of Jesus at a, is going to sacrifice himself out of love. Not because his disciples are worthy, because if you think about it, this, this event of the Lord's Supper, it's a, it's a mark and sandwich again. Right before it, he predicts, there is one in our midst that's going to betray me. And then after it's over, Jesus says, you will all fall away. And so in the midst of that disciple room there, you've got a traitor and 11 cowards. And Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, I'm going to give this for you. With the full knowledge of the failures of everyone in that room, Jesus still willingly goes to the cross for them. With the full knowledge that even though you are saved, you will still be tempted and you will sometimes fall with that full knowledge Jesus still went to the cross for you don't underestimate his love underestimate your loyalty but don't underestimate his love because his saving grace is also his sustaining grace even though his disciples stumbled and were scandalized Jesus said, when I am raised, I will go ahead of you. 
I'll still call you back to myself because I'm still your shepherd. You're still my sheep. Regardless of what may happen. Verse 30, after Peter says, I will not fall away, Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, Amen, I say to you. This is the last time he uses that phrase in Mark. Amen, I say to you, this very night, you're not going to make it through the night, Peter, before a rooster crows, you yourself will deny me three times. And even though you're going to do that, even though it's going to break my heart for you to do that, Peter, I'm still going to lay down my life for you. Even with your sin, he still loves you. You know, parenting requires a delicate balance sometimes of knowing when to let your children figure things out on their own and do things on their own and, and when to step in and tell them, no, you can't do that on your own. You know, as Jaden is three and he's growing in his independence and there's certain things that he's wanting to do on his own, he's becoming very stubborn about that. And Some things we encourage him and, 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 and actually push him in that direction. You've you got to do that on your own. But there's one thing that he, he still stubbornly wants to do on his own, and that's to go through a parking lot without holding on to anybody's hand. And he just he doesn't. He, you grab his hand he, the whole time. He's just tugging at it and pulling at it, and just just wanting to slip that grip. He just doesn't want to be held on. He thinks he's big enough. Is what it, what it amounts to. And I ask myself sometimes, you know, why does he try to pull away so much? Why does he not want? his hand held in the parking lot. It's the same reason you don't want to hold on to Jesus in your struggles and in your temptations. You think you're big enough to do it on your own. You think, well, Jesus, you saved me the cross. That's good. I'm not going to hell. I'm all right now. I, I, I can work through this on my own. Jesus, you, you, your grace is a saving grace. But as the disciples were just confronted with the reality, we still need his grace to face these trials, these temptations. We still need his grace when we falter in these trials and in these temptations. We need to trust in Christ alone as our only source of saving and sustaining grace. It's interesting here in this passage, there's repetition. And every time you see repetition in Scripture, it's emphatic. The author is trying to point something out. And notice the repetition of the word all. In verse 23, they all drank from the cup. Verse 27, Jesus says, you will all fall away. Verse 29, Peter said, even though all fall away, I will not. Verse 31, they were all saying the same thing. Fast forward to verse 50, and they all left him and fled that quickly. See, they all drank from the cup. They all pledged their allegiance to Christ, and they all fell away. But Jesus still went to the cross because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God 
And because all will continue to struggle and need His grace. The good news for us is this. His faithfulness overcomes your failures. Even though you fall away and you fail the Lord, your salvation is not dependent upon your faithfulness to Christ. If it were, every single one of us would be lost over and over again every day. His faithfulness, His faithfulness to sacrifice His life for you, His faithfulness overcomes your failures. That's why you need saving grace and that's why He has given you also sustaining grace. Remember Mark's audience. He's writing to Christians who are suffering, being persecuted, who are being tempted to fall away and renounce the faith. And some of them have stumbled. And Mark is writing to remind those fallen Christians, all hope is not lost. You have been scattered. He's still the shepherd. And he has been raised. Trust in him. Not your goodness. Trust in him for saving and sustaining grace. Let's pray together.